We are going to talk about something that's very familiar, I'm sure, to all of you. I have titled this, as you can see by your handout, I've titled this, The Greatest Impression. You know, this, the saying goes, right? You don't have a second chance to make a first impression. Ever heard that phrase? You do not have a second chance to make a first impression. Well, I, I don't know how, how true that is. I know it's, sometimes it's practically true. So I, I got to thinking about that, and impressions are important. I want you to think about this. Impressions are important, but they should not necessarily be controlling. Sometimes we get an impression of people, and that controls us, and it really shouldn't not do that. The only impression that we're going to talk about that should control us is our impression of Jesus Christ. But those, and, and you think of that in the advertisement world. Now the advertisement, it's image, image driven, right? I mean, uh, advertisements that we see today are all image driven. Now I have to go back in time to appeal to the older older generation here, the senior saints. But you remember, you, you guys tell me, you remember there was a guy, a tough looking guy, had a beautiful uh, hat on. He was on a horse, looked rough and tough. Ah, you got it before I went any farther. Somebody said it. I was going to give you more clues, but you got it. It was the Marlboro Man. And to be tough, you had to have a cigarette that, like a pencil that you couldn't hold in your mouth that had to drop off, you know. And even when I was in junior high school, these kids would put their, you may remember even this, and that, that day, they'd put their collars up and they'd look real tough and they'd have a cigarette. They, they were so young, their lips could hardly hold it. But boy, they were tough, you know. And, and so, and then there was one, see if you can tell me what this one is. The quality goes in before the name goes on. Remember what that was? Yeah, it was electrical. You're exactly right. It was Zenith Corporation. So they were, they were, they were making an impression. And uh, so everybody will remember this one, right? It had a crown, and you can have everything your way at... Burger King, you got it. And then, what is it today? It's, where's the, that's right, you go to Arby's if you want to know. We're going to go to Arby's after church here this morning. We're going to have an Arby's here at, at Faith. So as Pastor said, stay around. And then, of course, here's one. Oh, I don't have it with me, but what's in your Oh, they all watch the same programs I do, Pastor. We're all carnal we're all together, I guess, here this morning. Well, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11, because I'm going to talk about impressions. Because impressions are about what people, sometimes, they're about what people will think of me. As we've talked about these advertisements, they are to give you an impression Arby's wants to give you an impression of something. 
Capital One, the credit card folks, want to give you an impression of you should always have this in your wallet. So these are things to in, create an impression. And sometimes we live that way and it really hinders us as Christians to think about what impression do, uh, do I have and what impression am I giving of people? What will people think of me? So I guess my, uh, a question that I asked myself as I was thinking about this message is, what do you want to be known for? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What do I want to be known for? I was in an interesting Sunday school class one time in a church. Actually, it was in Arlington, Texas. And the, the Sunday school, the, the, the gentleman who gave the Sunday school lesson says he gave everybody a project for the next week. You'll never believe what the project, well, you might. you never believe what the project was. He said, for next Sunday, he said, I want everyone in my class to write an obituary. I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of dark. But he did it for a good reason. He wanted those people to, he said, then we're going to read them. We're going to have, each week we'll, we'll take several and we'll read them. What do you want to be known for? Interesting question, isn't it? I want to talk about the greatest impression of Jesus Christ. What did he want to be known for? And he speaks about it. He tells us, this is what I want to be known for. Obviously, he was son of, the son of God. Throughout the Gospels, he wanted the religious leaders to know that he was God in the flesh. They would never accept that. And he wanted you and I to know several things about him. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the lamb of God. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He wanted us to know all of those things about him. But today I want to take you, and if we can, I want to dig a little deeper. And I want you to take a deeper look with me because I want you to see what was in the heart of Jesus. If, if Jesus were to say, I want you to know my heart. Folks, I want you to know my heart. What would he say? So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. It's, it's familiar, and it's used often, and it's comforting. But I want to try to look into it from a different perspective. Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 to 30. Do you know there's only one place in Scripture where Jesus himself said, this is my heart. Only one place in scripture where Jesus said, this is my heart. And it's here in Matthew 11. But maybe before we ask what is the heart of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves a question. What, does, what are we talking about when we're talking about looking into the heart of someone? What does it mean? 
what's in your heart? And so, as you see on your sheet that's been distributed to you there, a heart look. What does it mean? And I chose three words in relationship to uh, what I mean and what we mean and what I think the scripture talks about in relationship to the heart of a person. If I said to you, what's in your heart this morning? As pastor said, these folks sang from the heart. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Not only the words reached my soul this morning, but it was the heart that they had that they sang it with, as, as pastor so adequately expressed, coming from their life. So what is, what is the heart? The heart is something that defines us. What I mean by that, it's not, yes, there is that part of me, okay, I, I, you need a heart bypass, you need to, your valves checked in your heart, you need all that, that, that muscle that pumps the blood and all that. We, we understand that bodily and physically. But the heart is not part of who we are. The heart is who we are. The scripture says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So our heart really defines who we are. Not only that, my heart directs me. What do I mean by my, the fact that my heart directs me? The scripture says in Proverbs 4.23, out of the heart are the issues of life. In other words, the direction a person takes in his life comes because of what's in his heart. We like to think of people as being affected by things outside of them. No, the scripture says it's what's inside of me that directs me. I, I grew up in the country in western Pennsylvania. I live now in Atlanta. One of the reasons that I live there is because uh, of the, the airport provides very adequate transportation and inexpensive transportation to get to different parts of the country that I travel to. But I don't like Atlanta traffic. If, and how many of you have ever traveled through Atlanta? All right, I see those hands. Yes, we can all come forward afterwards and we'll talk to the Lord about uh, needing three more lanes of traffic. There's seven now in each, seven lanes in each of, uh, on, on 285, seven lanes of traffic on each way. And if, if, if there's an accident, it's an automatic two-hour stop. And so I've seen people stopped in traffic. And why is it, why is the person on my left going, you say it's because of the traffic. Well, wait a minute, there's a person over here on my right, a lady, and she's smiling. And she's putting on her makeup or whatever else. She's got her, you know, her, th those pliers out that she's working on her eyebrows and all of that other stuff. And, and, and it looks like a sponge and she's putting wax on her face and she's smiling about it. Why is she doing that? The traffic made her put all that stuff on her face and get, have those, all those tools out? The traffic did that? The traffic made this guy pound on his dash and he wasn't quoting scripture verses. No, what made him do that? The heart was directing their outward activities. So the heart not only defines us, 
defines our identity and tells us who we are. People say they're having an identity crisis. They have a transgender identity. No, 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 no. They have a heart issue because the heart defines them. The heart directs them. But not only that, the heart drives me. The heart is the motivational system of my life. You know, you can have a skeletal system. Our our body, we would say, okay, you're going to get a scan of your skeletal system. They want to take a look at your all of the systems of your your bones and and what your density is and all that other stuff. Okay, so they have a a, a skeletal readout of your skeletal system. But the heart is the motivational system of my life. It's what drives me. Jesus said, it's not remember what is on the outside that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of the heart. It's what's driving him. So when we talk about that, when we, we say that, When Jesus says, this is my heart, we really understand what he's talking about. This is what defines me. This is what directs me. This is what drives me. So what did Jesus tell us that was true of the most inner part of him? Let's read about it in Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now look at the next phrase. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did Jesus say? Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So you see on your sheet, meek and gentle. What does it look like? We find the word gentle three other times in in the scripture in, in, in this definition of the word as it's presented here. And one is in Matthew 5, 5, where it says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Actually, the word there in the original is gentle. The gentle shall inherit the earth. In Matthew 21, verse 5, which is a kickback to the prophecy in Zechariah, it says the king will come riding, Jesus, the king, as he enters the city, and you know this, will come riding on a a donkey. What was that a picture of? Gentle and lowly. And then, of course, in 1 Peter 3, 4, it's, it talks about how ladies should dress. Proverbs, First uh, Peter chapter three, is a fashion statement for women, for wives. 
have a meek and quiet, or meek and gentle. The, the word is gentle there. This is the identity of a gentle, quiet spirit. This is how that word expands exponentially in the scripture. And so this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to know that I am gentle. Think about that for a second. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. Jesus never has the feeling, I'm going to tell you off. I'm going to tell you what I think. Jesus is never harsh, never cynical, never critical. Jesus is not reactionary. He's not angry in the sense of being vengeful. I'm sure pastors heard, as I have heard, people make excuses when, when you're talking to them about their anger and their, their anger's out of control. Well, Jesus had anger. He overthrew the people, the, the tables in the temple. Really? You know what that was? It was not anger. It was zeal. Because he said, the zeal of my father's house has eaten me up. You are abusing people in the temple, which is a house of prayer. You are doing this. And the party is over. Boom. The tables are gone. And the money changers. But it's not like, I'm going to get back at you. No, he said, I'm representing my father. And you are not going to abuse widows anymore. You are not going to steal from people anymore. I want to tell you about this is my father's house. And so we're going to take care of the tables here. But it's not an excuse for me to have a temper. Be angry and sin not. The scripture says, let not the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, discover really what's in your heart that's making you angry. And it's because somebody's interfered with you or you're not getting your way. It's not because you are representing the heart of Jesus, who is gentle. And so, Jesus, what does that mean? Jesus is, and here's your blank, Jesus is approachable. Jesus is approachable. What do I mean by the fact that Jesus is approachable? You see your next line there. There is a sweet embrace. There is a sweet embrace. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Jesus interacts with anyone. You can approach Jesus at any time with anything. The people were aghast as the leper, a leper who wasn't supposed to be out of his colony anyways, ran to Jesus. And of course the crowd split apart because there was a six-foot 
interestingly, in the New Testament, a six-foot social distancing from lepers. If the wind was blowing towards you from them, it was a 150-foot separation from a leper. So imagine the crowd parting as this leper comes to Jesus. And they watch him fall down in front of Jesus and, in a sense, worship him. And he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He didn't demand. He didn't have a sense of entitlement. He said, I'm totally submissive to you as I come with my need. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, listen to this. The scripture says Jesus touched him. Can you imagine the gasp from the crowd? <gasps> Jesus is going to be unclean for eight days. He's going to be unclean. He's going to have to go report to the priest. He touched the leper. Jesus touched him and said, I will be clean. Imagine this disfigured face. Imagine those skin ulcers. Imagine the eaten body all suddenly being transformed. <laughs> and this guy is totally made new. Certainly a picture of how we'll be someday. Amen. He, Jesus, was approachable. Always in the scripture, whether it was the woman with the issue of blood, whether it was the centurion, he was always, always approachable. Jesus, could we say it like this? Jesus loved the deplorables. He hung out with the needy people. He always associated with the sinners because that's who he came to seek and to save, those who were lost. So the sweet embrace of Jesus, what did that sweet embrace of Jesus look like? What do we mean by the fact that he's always approachable? Listen, there is no sin that can ever outmatch his grace or his embrace. Talked to a guy one time. He said, I cannot. I will not. I've never told anybody what I've done. And he was in junior high school or upper junior high school or whatever. He said, I just can't. He said, it makes me sick even to think of what I've done or what I've, what, what I've done. I can't. I've never told anyone. I'll never tell anyone. And yet he wanted help. He finally, sobbingly, told me what he had done. It was horrible. But I wanted him to know that there was nothing, no sin that he had committed that could outreach the embrace of Jesus Christ. Our faults, our crazy acts, even things that we do every day that we shouldn't do, can't outmatch his acceptance. He's going to accept us. Why? Because he is approachable. And he is ready to give us a sweet embrace. Our doubts 
Do you ever have any doubts about things? Ever, ever have any insecurities? Ever have any uh, failures that you feel like, man, I really blew it? It doesn't affect your acceptance by him or his forgiveness of you. Jesus is approachable. There is a sweet embrace from him. Second, the scripture says not only is he gentle, and that's how that looks like in his approachability, but he's lowly. What does that do? Not only is Jesus approachable, but Jesus is accessible. You can not only approach Jesus, but he is accessible. Someone described it like this. I wish I'd have thought of these two words. But someone has said the greatest impression that Jesus left on those around him was a noble humility. A noble humility. I like those two words together. Noble, honorable humility. In other words, it wasn't the dazzling, this is the dazzling big crowds. The crowds followed him, but he would often leave the crowds and go off by himself. Why? He did not want to be known as a celebrity healer. He wanted to be known as a sin-forgiving savior. And so there was a supreme uniqueness about him. No one, no one has ever been more approachable or accessible in human history. There were no hoops to go through before you got to Jesus. It was very minimum to get to him. All that you had to do was open yourself up to him and all that he wanted to do was to see your needs. You could, I don't know if words cannot escape me as to how to express his accessibility. In the scripture, you see it so often. The Roman centurion, who was here, he was. Uh, and hated by most of the Jews. He did build the elders a temple, but he, he was concerned about his accessibility to Jesus. And so he said to the elders, could you go ask Jesus if he could heal my, my sick servant son? He said, I love him. The, the guy is dear to me in Luke chapter seven. He said, he's really dear to me and I love him, but I don't, I, I know that I, I can't even, I don't even know if, if I have accessibility to Jesus. And when the elders told Jesus, Jesus said, I'll go to his, I'll come to his house. You'll do what? You'll come to his house? He's a Gentile. You as a Jew, Levitically, ceremonially, you can't go to his house. Jesus said, I'll go to his house. And the centurion heard, Jesus is coming to your house. He said, oh no, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. Perhaps Jesus come to my house? He said, he told his servants, he said, tell Jesus just to give the word. And I know that my servant will be healed. And so they came to Jesus and they said, he said they were representing him. And it was as if the, the centurion speaking. And he said, 
just our master, the centurion, said, just give the word and you'll be healed. And Jesus said, okay, done. He's healed. And they went back and Jesus said, I have never seen such greater faith. You don't have it in Israel because you leaders won't, he didn't say it like this, but you leaders won't even accept me as the son of God. And here is a Gentile who says, just give me the word and my servant be healed. His, his meek and lowly gentleness is not occasional. He never acts one way toward someone, but he acts always toward all people. He can't, it's impossible for Jesus to ungentle or unlowly himself toward anyone because that's his heart. That's who he is. And so he says what? Come, come, come to me. Bring everything that you have to me. I will meet your need. So then we ask the question, do you qualify to come? If this is who Jesus says he is, do you and I qualify to come? You say, what do I have to do? You just told me there were no hoops to jump through. That's right. Well, am I qualified to come to Jesus? Well, let's look at it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John 6, 37, Jesus said, come to me, I'm the bread of life. So who qualifies? Who qualifies to come to Jesus? That's the question. And Pastor and I know this from the many multitudes. I think I'm in my 50th year of counseling. Who is the most difficult person to help? Who would you say is the most difficult person to help? You may think of a person who has this big, big, big issue going on in their life. Do you know who the most difficult person to help is? The person who won't open up to you and reveal the window of their soul to you. You can't help anybody that won't open up to you. And Jesus says it like this, come to me, those of you who, are la who labor, and we're going to talk about this, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus is saying, do you have any need in your life? If you do, will you open up to me? Are you hungry in any way for me? Because I'm ready to work on you. I am not going to force myself on you. Forced love is not genuine love, as we know. So, verse 28 tells us if we qualify, if we labor and are heavy laden. 
In other words, think about it like this. Jesus doesn't say, unburden yourself, and then you're ready to come to me. No, he said, I just want you to open up with your burdens. Don't try to do anything yourself. Don't try to unburden yourself. Your burden is what qualifies you to come. There's no payment required here. There's no prerequisite. There's no prepay here. There's no works. There's no performance. And so he says, and come to me, and we know this in other places. I, I will not, I will never cast you out if you come to me. So what are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? And I, sometimes I have to admit, and I, in my own life, I think I get twisted up and I get hungry for the wrong things. Did you ever get hungry for the wrong things? Did you ever, for example, did you ever hunger for just good news? Could you just give me some good news? Could you just tell me about a hundred people being saved and rescued? I don't mean salvation. I mean being rescued from some way. I don't want to hear about any more people being killed. Can you just give me some good news? I'm hungry for good news. Did you ever just hunger for good news? I think a, a, a lot of people as I travel around the country, it's, it's like the country's on edge. And people are saying, well, we just need a better America. And we think we're going to have it by just saying the words. Three words is going to give us a better America. God bless America and we're going to automatically be a better America. Are you kidding me? That's the wrong way to travel. That's pursue him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to open up our soul to him. And he says, take all of your other hungers out of the way so that you see me for who I am. So if, if you are uh, labor, and, and by the way, that's, when we think of labor, I, I, I think of, you know, my grandfather saying, yeah, I'll take you fishing, but you're going to hoe these five rows of corn first. You know, and as a kid, I thought that was labor, you know. And, or we're going to dig this ditch today. And he would get an old pick out and start, I don't know how, you know. And he, he, he seemed to move at like, 0 0.5, you know, he would just, wow, wow. And I would think, Grandpa, let's get this ditch done. Boom, boom, boom. So I'd take a pick and go, about three minutes, I was done. Four hours later, he was still. Well, he was trying to probably teach me how to work, but that's not even the labor that Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about... He's not talking about just crawling your way to me. He's not talking about pulling boards apart to get to me. He's not talking about just trying to get your, your, your life smoothed out before you come. He's saying, no, would you just come? If you're weary in any way at all, actually, it's the... It's the internal look labor here is 
is not that outside work. It's really the internal look. It's, I'm, maybe the best way to say it is, I'm at a point of exhaustion in my soul. Okay? It's not like I'm tired. We all get tired. That's just part of being human. But I'm talking about, Jesus is talking about here, soul exhaustion. In other words, and he was speaking, obviously, in the context of his time, he was speaking to these poor people who had all of those Jewish laws laid on them, all of those crazy tradition that the Pharisees had dreamed up. They would dream up a new rule for everything that they could think of. And they, you know, so they were trying in every way they could to get to God to please him. They had the people, you know, Jesus had to heal people at night because on the Sabbath, they, they, they would wait till the sun goes down so they could pick up their mats and carry people to Jesus because they couldn't even get people help because there were so many laws and stuff around them. And so Jesus is saying, this is not what I'm talking, I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about soul uh, I'm talking about soul rest. And so if, you're, if there's any way that you are hungry or exhausted in your soul, come to me. And heavy laden, that's the external. In other words, all of, these, all of this stuff that you're carrying, all of these rules that you have on you, these extra commandments, these loads of tradition, I want you to get off your shoulder. In other words... Think about it in these terms. Weary is being self-centered. In other words, what's going on in you? Heavy laden is being works-centered. In other words, I'm trying to be a perfectionist. I'm trying to be a control freak. I'm trying to perform for Jesus. This is not performance Christianity. Jesus is saying, I just want to know one thing. How desperate are you for me? If you're heavy laden or laboring, come to me. I will give you rest. So that tells you if you're qualified to come to him. Do you want Jesus in any way to be a greater part of who you are? Do you want soul? Is there anything in your soul that you want rest from? Any frustrations, anxiety, insensitivities, fears, insecurities? Is there any way that you're trying on your own to get to him? He says, I'm approachable. I'm accessible. Please just come. Why come? What is the result? That's the last phrase there on your on your sheet so if your labor he says i want you to come the, the the blank word that i chose by the word labor there is i want to fellowship with you so the idea of of laboring i want to have fellowship with you i'm approachable i'm accessible Will you have a greater fellowship with me? The idea of laden is the idea that I, I was talking about is the word I chose there is rest. I will give you 
rest. Rest for your soul. You can't keep looking around at these circumstances that beset you. you. I want you to look to me. And then, what's the result? Notice what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now, what in the world, what, what, what is he saying by saying uh, that, that, that my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, growing up in the country way back when, way back when, when I was a little kid, I have my grandfather took me to a farm. It was the first time I ever saw it. And there was, I thought cows gave milk, which they do, by the way. But these two cows had a wooden thing on them, and they were pulling, they were pulling something behind them, and the ground was turning up in the field. They were, there were two oxen plowing in the field. And my grandfather said, you see that? You see those, and, and then we went to the barn, and there was another wooden thing that had circles on it. He, I said, what is that? He said, that's a yoke, and that's what was on those oxen. My, my yoke is easy. What? You say, well, well, wait a minute. It doesn't sound easy if you have a heavy wooden yoke on your, your body. What, what, what do you mean, my yoke is easy? Well, what was the, let's just talk about this in a second like this. What was the yoke for? It was kind of like a harness, right? And it was a harness, obviously, to pull and to plow and whatever. But it was a, it was a way, I like to think of it like this. It was a way that those oxen, oxen were submitted to the master and they went to the master's direction. So Jesus is saying what? If you're in my yoke, you are submitted to my direction. And you will find that my direction is satisfying. It is easy. In other words, he says, learn of me. Be, what, what, what's the idea there? Be a submissive learning. What, learner, what do I learn? I learn to obey. And the more obedient as I obey, I have freedom. John 15 tells us as we obey, we have, we have fruit. Think about it now. Let's put it together because this yoke comes from a kind and gentle Savior. All right? So, I, I want you to think about this word picture. Somebody's in, a, somebody's in a lake. You're there with a life preserver. The person is drowning. You see them coming up gasping for air. You can't get to them quickly enough, but you throw the life preserver out. It's a floating life preserver. All they have to do is what? 
reach up and grab on. But they're what? They're going like this, and they're, 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 you know, trying on their own instead of grabbing onto the life preserver. The life preserver is so easy. My yoke is easy. It's so rescuing. In other words, my yoke, and we say it like this, my yoke is a non-yoke. It's like, how about this word picture? It's like a helium balloon, a helium-filled balloon. If you had enough helium in that balloon, and you've all been to fairs or wherever where they pass out these balloons, and the, the, the child does what? He lets go of the balloon. Oh, mommy, it's gone, 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 gone. Why? Because... It's helium-filled and just lifts on its own. Jesus said, my balloon is so filled with helium that my yoke is so filled with helium that it's going to lift your soul. So it's really a non-yoke. My easy yoke. I have two words under under that easy yoke. I want you to write them both down. It's called Endless kindness. Endless kindness. God is good all the time. And all the time, amen. You got it. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Jesus is saying, I have an endless kindness for you. This is what my easy yoke looks like. And my burden is light. So you have light burden. Easy yoke. Your last phrase there on your sheet. Light burden. And I'll give you the two words and then we'll close with talking about it. Light burden is, I chose two words here, supreme helpfulness. Supreme helpfulness. Imagine being associated with a person who has endless kindness and supreme helpfulness. If I said to you, I can take you to somebody who is the supreme helper. I can take you to someone who is endlessly kind. He would say, I got to meet that person. I really, there's no other person I've ever thought about that's ever like that. And I say, That's why I want to take you to Jesus. Because I think people, I think many people in our our world today, in our church today, many people who know Christ confess him with their lips. I talk to to a lot of people and I'll say, "Ah, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. My daddy was a Christian. My grandfather was a preacher. Well, that doesn't make you a Christian, but, you know, I'm not getting into that right now. But the whole idea is many people confess Jesus with their lips, but they avoid a sweet fellowship with him because they don't understand his heart. We don't even know what we're avoiding sometimes. We're avoiding a sweet fellowship with him because his yoke is kind, his burden is light. And he wants, he wants to lift us and carry us through life. No one ever cared for me like Jesus, right? He wants to lift me through every aspect of my life's journey. 
And with this endless gentleness, this supreme helpfulness, could I say it this way? Jesus doesn't just, Jesus doesn't just want to meet our need. I want you to get this. Jesus just doesn't want to meet our need. He wants to live in place of my need. He wants to take my need's place. We say, Jesus can meet your every need. That's true, he can. But what if we said, he wants to be there in place of your need. He doesn't want you to have a need because he wants you to have him. Because he's lowly and gentle, endlessly kind. He doesn't want us to look around and to resist it all and to see all of our troubles. He wants to sweep you out of your troubles. And when you're in trouble, it's difficult for our minds and our emotions not to focus on the trouble. And Jesus said, if you learn of me, I will show you and I will sweep you through them. I will sweep you through life because I am lowly and gentle. This is my heart. So come learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light I hope that through something transported from the scripture today you will say that's what I want that's what I need